Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. How was your week? I hope it gets a little better with Coffee Is Not Me podcast. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Valerian Hrala. It's raining here in Northern California, and that's great. After a very dry year, we need rain to have water, to make coffee, and have showers, and grow wine and almonds. You get it. We need water. <laughs> if you're a member of Coffee Is Not Me Facebook group, you get a chance to register early for Master the Rose Profiles Light course and help me to get rid of some bugs. I owe you a big thank you. Thank you guys so much for helping me out. Rest of you, feel free to register at coffeecourses.com. I also created a free course on Shopify for all of you trying to build your online businesses fast and comfortable. Remember what Mike said in a previous episode. The online business was one of the catalysators for growth at Clatch Coffee. While roasting is fun, do not neglect the sales and marketing aspects of your coffee businesses. Keep it sustainable. Most importantly, let me know if you want more shop building and online marketing tips. I'll happy to oblige, but I want to know that you want this information. Speaking of Mike, did you enjoy the previous episode? I loved it. So let's have another one, but this time on espresso. Clatch Coffee won multiple awards with their espresso blends, so why not to learn from the best? What is better for an espresso, single origin or a blend? How could you involve your customers in helping you to create the ultimate blend and how many coffees shall you use in a blend? How shall you roast an award-winning espresso blend? Mike will answer all these questions and he will also tell us what model of an espresso machine to get. Or is used espresso machine the way to go for startups? As usually, I dropped the how to start a coffee business on $10,000 question, and this time we have a longer discussion if it's even possible or not. Before we start, guess what? No, no commercial, but a reminder about the iTunes reviews. I still need a lot to go to get to my goal 50 iTunes reviews by end of this year. I'm in risk of not rewarding myself with a professional espresso gear. Please do not let this happen and leave me reviews now. If you already left your review, thank you so much. I highly, highly appreciate it. And do not forget, if we reach the goal, one of you will get the big win. Coffee Courses membership, three coffees from Green Plantation Coffee so you can copy our raw style, <laughs> and one mystery coffee which will revolutionize the coffee industry in the United States. Oh, come on, I'm close to Silicon Valley. We have to use expressions like revolutionized, gorgeous, most innovative, thinner and faster, and so on, you get it. <laughs> well, enjoy the interview with Mike Perry from Clatch Coffee. I promise this one will be a good one. Uh, when it comes to cafe, uh, also, like I have recently got a lot of questions about espresso, and I'm not at home in espresso, I have to say, you know, espresso machines and stuff like that. So let me ask you, like, first of all, when it comes to espresso, uh, do you prefer to roast a single origin for espresso or do you prefer to create blends? Well, personally, I'm more of a blend person. Mm-hmm. 
And we normally will offer one single origin at a time. Uh, but I really, I mean, you look at recipes and things like that, you know, of uh, with food and that. A lot of them are, are blends of different things. I mean, why? Because you're looking for so much complexity and balance and, and different flavors to bring together. So I really think you can get that through a blend well, you can't always get that in a single origin. Uh, I mean, I like single, you know, the uh, single malt scotches are, are great, but I mean, I love a Johnny Walker Blue if I if I can have it. I mean, you know, it's just so smooth and nice and there's so many different ingredients in there. But I just think you can really create something unique and, and wonderful and just add so many flavors to it. But I think it's a little bit today, many of the new guys don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to create blends. And to me... A single origin can sometimes be a cop-out. You find one that's good, so you offer it. Uh, instead of trying to figure out how you can blend it and create something unique and wonderful and more complex and better. I mean, a good blend, obviously, the theory is that the combination of all the individuals will be better than any individual component on its own. And that's what we try to create. But it takes a lot, a lot of work, particularly with espresso. Mm-hmm. But as far as I remember, your daughter won, uh, Heather, she won the uh, Brazo Championship with a single origin. Is that correct? No, it was a blend. It was a blend. It ah, okay. Blend. So you went through to the blend all the way. She also prefers blends? Uh, she likes both, but, but we, you know, she's a big part of helping us create the blends that we go with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we won last, when we won the first, when she won her first U.S. Championship, it was just our regular house blend. And it was big surprise that she won because no one expected it. We didn't as well. Uh, you know, everybody expected someone from Seattle to win. And at that time, you she won the U.S. and the very next day competed in the world because <laughs> that was held in the U.S. that year. So there was no time to learn to improve to do anything. And and uh, I think she still finished top ten. The mm-hmm. the second time when she won the U.S., they had spaced it out, and then it was going to be over in Japan. So we had a a gap of three months to work on everything we could. We really started from scratch. And we actually invited our customers to be part of helping us create a blend. And we said, you know, for this much money, we'll send you whatever we're working on that day and just send us back feedback on what you liked or didn't. And it might have been a single origin. It might have been a blend. It was just experiments. And with espresso, as I said, it tastes so long because when you roast it, it's not like a coffee for drip that you can just cup the same or next day. Espresso has to degas. It's going to change. So it's going to be different out of the roaster than it will be two days, or particularly we like to wait five to seven days. Mm-hmm. So you've got to roast it, and then you've got to wait a week to, to really see what it's going to develop and be like. And then when you taste it, you can you can decide if that's a component worth having. And then you can also decide, you know, I, I like it, but it needs to be a little bit darker. It needs a little bit lighter. I think if we extend the roast time, we can get a little more sweetness out of it. Or if we can extend the, extend the development, you know, first crack to the end, we can get more sweetness out of it. And, and we would experiment with all these different characteristics. But it took time. It took us three months to develop the blend that we took to the world that was awarded best in the world. So what do you think? How does an award-winning espresso taste like? How it should taste like? Well, first, it should be sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's what I look for. I mean, I, I would I don't add sugar to anything. And I want to have a natural sweetness in there. So that's the first thing I really try to develop is a sweetness in it. Uh, second, 
is I want a balance. I, I, I like a coffee that has a balance of, of a acidity and body and, and sweetness and even some bitter, you know, it, it, a little bit of everything. It really needs to be in there complex. And of course the flavors uh, need to be delicious. You want one you can drink to the bottom and you want one that when you drink it, you just have that, ah, that's a good espresso. So how do you roast espresso like that? So what, you said that you're using different roast profiles and you adjust it as, as um, the espresso goes, but what would, you be, what would be your first kind of uh, roast profile for espresso? Uh, well, first you've got to select a bean, a base to kind of build. So, you know, often what we'll do is we will roast uh, many different beans to where we think based on experience it ought to be and typically that experience tells us it's somewhere outside of first crack to beginning of second it's different with every bean most of ours are obviously uh, somewhere in between first and second uh, some of them we take right just before second crack some just outside of first uh, but uh, we we come, we start with kind of in the middle and taste it and see what we should do with it as the individual component mm-hmm and like I say, once we, we do them, we, we make notes on them all individually, and then we start blending the beans and so start running shots. We, we taste espresso as espresso. So you do post-blending? Yes, That's always important. post-blending. Okay, because some guys nowadays do pre-blending. So just... yeah, and as a roaster, especially a small guy, that take, has an advantage because if he's doing a, a post-blend and he's got four beans in it and he's just roasting for us cafe – you know, he's got to do four rows to get enough for him. So if a pre-blend, if you can pull it off and if it works, is obviously a lot better from a labor standpoint. Uh, but we really think that we can get a better taste by roasting them individually, roasting each one different and then blending them afterwards. That's interesting. Each one different. So different color, you mean, also? Yes, or, mm-hmm. definitely. Cool. Uh, how many coffees you would use in espresso blend? Uh most of our blends have three to five, mm-hmm. uh, although we do offer some single origins, as you asked about. But typically, we're in a three to five bean range. Cool. I had a person who told me once that his espresso blend has 12 different coffees. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction, too. Yeah, it's a little bit much. But <laughs> I, was like, I guess on the good side, if he's ever out of anything, you probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, but <laughs> on the other hand, it's like... If if you how statistically how likely it is to have a consistent shot one after another, you know, because you should have in each shot the same amount of beans, right? Correct. So statistically, it's you know, I'm a I'm a nerd, I'm a geek, so I was like, hey, that doesn't add up, hey, dude, <laughs> math is not working here. Oh, I couldn't imagine that many. You no, know, I just you know, I'm just. Uh, it's a question which we often get, and uh, I do like bands, by the way, personally. I think the blends have a little like renaissance nowadays. They come slowly coming up. The bad rep for blends is because people were not blending flavors, but they were blending for masking off flavors, you know, the, the old school coffee. So that they got a little bit of bad rep. But, you know, I think that people like you and uh, I always saw some other, you know, like third wave companies doing pretty cool blends. So they, they were bringing back the good reputation for blends. That's great. You know, when we started... As I said, we roasted in a in a cafe, so we couldn't, you know, once we started sourcing and getting good coffee, you know, we didn't have room to have a good varietal that we would offer straight 
and then a lower a lower varietal from the same region that we would blend. So all of our blends had in them all of our really good components because that's all we had enough room for. So we always have kind of leaned toward that better bean blend. Cool. Going to my uh, very foreign topics because I don't know too much about this, uh, the espresso machines. What kind of espresso machines do you use now? And what would you recommend uh, for a beginners? What, what should they uh, purchase as a day first espresso machine? Uh, you know, a lot of people opening cafes always wonder about that. You know, what brand should I get? Can I get a used one? Uh, we personally, uh, in our stores, we have one of two machines. We either have La Marzocco or we have Nueva Seminelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was to Marzocco we love because, the, you know, the quality, uh, the machines are well built. You, sp- you spend more money for them, but you're not going to have problems with them. Uh, Nueva Seminelli, obviously, they're using the World Barista competitions. The, the new Black Eagle, we just love. Uh, temperature stability is fantastic. It's great. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you think of, let's say, going back to food great chefs, you never talk about what oven they have. It's the ingredients. It's the way they make it. And I think any espresso machine will produce a great shot if you have great beans and you pull the shot or extract the shot properly. So I think people have to, to a certain extent, get what they can afford. Hopefully they can afford one of those brands because I think they're, they're better built and you have better service for them. So to me, that's an important thing. But there are other good brands out there. Uh, it just happens to be the ones we select that we like. On the used side... I tell people to to somewhat stay away from used machines. Mm-hmm. The reason being is, uh, let's just say you get a used refrigerator and a used espresso machine. If the refrigerator breaks, you can quick get a cooler and ice and put your milk in there, and you can still keep operating until you get it fixed. If your espresso machine breaks, you're out of business. Because let's face it, most coffee houses have what? One espresso machine. So that's an area I try not to skim. I tell people, get a new machine. Always keep it serviced. You know, do your PMs all the time. Take care of it. You need that machine. That's what you're relying your business on if you're a cafe is that espresso machine. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, the, I always say that the used espresso makers are good for like home nerds and you can <laughs> install your pits and do, you know, like little like, you know, DIY work on it. But it's not when you have a cafe or when you have a running business you want uh, have that machine running all the time and if it breaks then you know it's, no business it's, it's, it's no business exactly <laughs> so from business perspective we in green plantation peter my partner is the barista and uh we use a brand uh which is owned by astoria and they make it in romania i forgot the name but they are workhorses like we can carry them anywhere we want and they work and work and work and work you know so i agree with you that I think that espresso maker should not, the brand should not be so important. Although, to be honest, it does give you a a competitive advantage if they come to your store and they see something very fancy. Yeah, and it's a little more common recently with some of the new, the newer cafes are getting a spirit or, Mm. uh, you know, a certain machine that has that, that wow factor look. And it's a great machine. And and that can help a little bit. It it maybe people will try you out to, who are a little more the the coffee geeks that are familiar with that difference in it, mm-hmm. or just a difference of style and looking can match as well. But uh, to me, 
it really comes down to the quality at the end of the day. That's the repeat business. And as a cafe, you know, you don't want a one-time customer that's going to visit because they heard about you. You want someone local that's going to come every morning and buy a drink from you. Yeah, and also other thing is that you should probably not fret too much about the brand you should start. So if you can afford a, a cheaper machine, you should go with that. It's the same like with roasters. When they asked me about the roasters, I was like, oh, yeah, if you have money, Probat, Giesen, they're all amazing brands. They do you know, a very good job. Yeah. But if you don't and you really want to do your job, there are some options out there. And, for example, in Green Plantation, we started with Turkish roasters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they are not Giesen and, they are not Giesen and Probat. But hey, they made our first two, three hundred thousand euros, you know. So, and, <laughs> and, and I'm the same way. And people ask about machines. I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, I have Dietrich, and I and I love them. Uh, and being based on our awards, obviously, it works. But again, it goes back to the chef. It's not the oven. It's the ingredients. It's the ro- You know, it's it's how he cooks it. It's us roasters. It's the beans we start with. It's how we roast them. It's how we develop them. That's what it comes down to. That's what it's about. And that's what's going to produce great coffee. Uh, certain brands, as you mentioned, the Probat, the Giesen, uh, the Dietrich of that, you know, they've got a great reputation because they don't break down. They're a little more reliable. But any machine is going to work if you know how to use it. Yeah, I agree with you. When I, bros- when I was browsing your website, I noticed that you offer barista and roaster training. By the way, uh, your, our competition, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> and including... Coffee consultancy services. Why would you do that? I can understand the barista part, but why would you teach other roasters how to roast when they compete with you? Uh, you know, when I when I started out, it was funny. As I said, I was buying from many different roasters, and then I kind of had the opportunity, and all of them said, oh, you don't want to roast. You know, don't do that. That's a mistake. And uh, I think they were afraid of losing the business. I think ultimately if someone's going to roast, they're going to do it anyway. Why not have them as a friend? But I always appreciated when I started out people who helped me, who gave back. We've been lucky enough to to grow and be successful, so we want to share with those we do it with. Uh, I don't consider us a a competitor with William per se because obviously he's doing classes and and, uh, being able to reach a lot of people. We just do private one-on-one. I I was kidding about that, by the way. way. And, uh, you know, but if I can help someone and share them, to me, it's a way to kind of pay it forward and to give back. So I enjoy doing that. Yeah, I was kidding about that. No worries. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not worried. But, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting what you said because we get this question pretty often that uh, why would we teach somebody, you know, to uh, roast? Because some people know that I have a roasting venture in Europe. Uh, and they go like, why, why would you do that? And... Sometimes when I want to be funny, I give them this answer that, look, I mean, you would copy us anyway, so why would I not ask money for it? <laughs> <laughs> and they go like, what? <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, it's, for me, it's, you know, sometimes it's kind of, uh, I have these two faces. <laughs> I feel sometimes like double-faced, that in Europe, I'll, I'm pushing a little bit different agenda. Not Europeans, I would say specifically Slovakia, because in Europe, you know, it's still like if you start a, a roasting company in one country, it's kind of hard to expand to other countries. We tried and it's it's kind of hard because of the language barrier, shipping cost, you know, phone cost and everything. So for me, it's more like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm still known as a guy who is green plantation in Slovakia and a guy who is doing education all over the other parts of the world. <laughs> mm. So. Well, I'd love to hear more about that from you because 
we're looking at the possibly starting to roast in Korea. Currently, mm-hmm. all that for a Korean store, all that's done here, and we ship it over. But obviously, as you know, shipping coffee, it has to be by airfare to get there to be fresh. It's very expensive. There's an import tax in, in Korea that, that adds quite a bit to it. So we, we're looking at the option of sending green coffee there because it would be a lot lower price point. Uh, it would allow us to have some freshness there to expand our wholesale there. So there's some things we're looking at, but the, the concern and the reason we've been hesitant is that how do we maintain that quality? Fortunately, there's things like Cropster, which is plotting software, as you know, and other ones. Mm-hmm. We can have it online. We can see in the cloud. We can be able to monitor the quality control of what we're coming with. So we're more open to that idea, and we're looking at investigating in that right now. Yeah, I think if I would be able to afford uh, operations out of Slovakia, and we are actually looking into that, uh, I would do that. I mean, I think that, first of all, you offer the freshness. I don't think that it's such a hard uh, to train somebody, you know, to maintain the quality. So I think if you have operations already in Korea, that totally makes sense that you will roast in Korea. And Asia, I mean, wow. Like, we have so many requests for trainings, questions. <laughs> like, the listeners, there's a lot of listeners in Asia. Oh, Korea is, I don't know if you- I don't know if you've been to Korea, but I've never seen so many coffee houses I have in Seoul anywhere in the world. Uh, it is just crazy how many there are. You'll have one a floor above another in the same building. You'll have them next door. I mean, as many as you have up in San Francisco, we have in LA, it, it pales in comparison to what there is in Seoul. So again, we want to differentiate ourselves. We want people to really experience it. And we think that might be the next step to helping us do that. And you have one competitive advantage, which Asians love, is that you are American brand. I don't know why is that, but <laughs> they love American brands. And if you are from uh, uh, West Coast, they love you even more. And, and we found that as well. And I, I also don't understand it because it's quite a ways to ship it there. But yeah, they definitely love the American. Yeah. And because we had a, a Chinese uh, customer, like uh, he was our... Uh, I think he attended Q grading or something, and we talked about uh, potential business cooperation. And, and you know, he wanted to bring coffee to China, and he said that I said, "Why don't you just roast in China? You know, you can set up a roastery there." I said, "No, no, no. They, the easiest way to sell in Asia is uh, selling American brands and from West Coast." I was like, "Why West Coast? Do they know?" No, no, they know. They, they, that's that's what he wants. So he's going to bring in, you know, like I think like you know the classical blue bottle and intelligentsia, whatever. So it was interesting to hear that China is, or Asia actually is pro-American and pro-West Coast. Hmm. I wanted to sell him Green Plantation, but he said, oh, that's Slovakia. Nobody cares about Slovakia. I was like, hey. Well, it sounds like China might be a good opportunity. <laughs> for you guys, not for us, because we are, yes. you know, Green Plantation is not uh, West Coast. <laughs> so funny, though. <laughs> okay, so... My last question on the first round, because there will be another round, which is our okay. questions from the listeners, is like, let's say you are still in your uh, steel industry and you, you are done today and you would have $10,000. What kind of coffee business you would start and how do you see that coffee business growing in the next five years? Well, first, I, I have to be honest that 10000 is really not enough money for anyone to start a coffee business. Uh, <clears throat> That's what you have. <laughs> <laughs> then I think I'd do something else. I'd save till I had more. Uh, you know, it's it's hard for anybody to 
to start with that small an amount because at that you're really forced to to getting a small used roaster uh, one that you're barely going to do maybe some farmers markets to try to get your name out there but it's hard to get enough business to really make it work I, I really think the best bet for anybody is to get a roastery cafe to start so you've got your built-in first customers but now you're talking a cafe I mean the average cafe uh, that Starbucks or you know that people might be familiar with that they spend is what uh, 400 plus thousand right uh, somebody can do it themselves a little bit less and but still anything less than a hundred thousand is just going to not be enough to make it work I think someone needs that kind of money to really get in business today uh, but a lot of people who retire from, from one career you know they, they have that they, they don't want to retire they feel they're too young so it's very feasible for them but to get by less is very hard unless you get investors from family or other type people uh, in my case, I didn't have anybody else, so I used the last of my money. Of course, that was 20-some years ago, so I didn't need quite as much money. Oh, that's interesting. I forgot to ask that question. I always ask that question because uh, people really want to know. So how did you get your first money? You said that you earned, uh, that you had some savings when you sold your uh, steel company, correct? Correct. And uh, like I said, I, I thought it was a lot of money, but I, as I spent it, it got down to not very much. It's like, wow, what am I going to do? So we spent our last 60000 opening our first cafe and we did most of the labor ourselves, most of the build out ourselves. we did everything we could mm-hmm. uh, and of course got the landlord to throw in a certain amount which is which is not uncommon in tenant improvement dollars and that's how we got open and when I know when we first opened like my wife said sometimes she'd she'd have to pay a bill because it was due and you know we'd, we'd have to go without until it cleared to see what was left so we could get a paycheck <laughs> but uh you know, it's the it's the memories. It's fun. It, it was part of going through it. We loved it. Cool. So you can do it that way. Uh, Definitely because... so. But I don't, I don't know how you do it on ten. I mean, have you opened on ten? Or you know, people. Yeah. I mean, you really got to just get by and doing the the smaller things, or get a a bargain on a used machine like I did. But then you've got to get customers, and if you don't have a store, you've got to go out and get customers. And I guess the question would be: Is why are people going to buy from you? How do you differentiate yourself? You may be lucky enough to have friends that own a, a restaurant, so they want to buy from you because they're a friend. But another one, why are they going to buy from you? And some people say, well, because I'm going to sell it to them less than somebody else. But price is not a successful model. You can't just undersell because if they come to you because you're cheaper, they're going to leave you for someone else that's cheaper. I totally agree on this. To I, me, yeah. quality is the only sustainable model. Then people will stay with you. You've got to have quality as a base to build from. But then you still got to have something else. Like I said, our case, you know, we're lucky enough with Heather. So we've got the proven techniques of the barista champion. And, you know, we, we can teach them. We can give them the education to help them be successful. But somebody's got to really think about it. If you want to get in the coffee business, what's going to differentiate you? Yeah, I totally agree on that. I mean, I did start company under $10,000. The Green Plantation was under $10,000. But it's a bit different situation because it's in Slovakia where <laughs> where $400 salary is uh, uh, okay. It's, it's, it's a base. I mean, if you ta- earn 1,000 uh, euros a month in my town, that's considered as, as a nice, you know, level. That's a, I mean, who wants to earn $1,000 a month here, you know? So... Not not up where you live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we, we managed to buy... A, uh, we pay rent like 100 or 200 euros. You know, it's nothing. And we have a big place now you know we started with 30 euros you know and then as we needed more a place we extended now we pay like 100 150 euros a month which is like where can i 
you know, the first place I found here was $4,000. I was like, what? A month, you know? So it's just crazy. So you can, some places you can. I mean, and of course, that's the fun part of the question because $10,000 is very challenging. Yes. I mean, we got the roasters, as I said, we got it from uh, Turkey. And it's interesting that uh, there are like six or seven producers in one town called Izmir. And they are price-wise, they're very different when it comes to, you know, the roasters. And they, are, they look almost the same, <laughs> just, you know, different logos on them. And in 2012, uh, we found one brand, the Garanti, which had, like, very cheap. We bought our first five-kilo roaster for $4,000. Oh. That's crazy. They, they don't have those prices anymore. So <laughs> good luck with that. You'd have to look at a used one, and that's very difficult. You mentioned the rent. So a lot of people I know will try to roast in their garage. No, that's a no-no but, here. Uh, it doesn't work in, in California. No. <laughs> it may in other states, but it's hard to do here. Uh, of course, down in Southern California, we've got the air quality control and many things we had to go through with our new roastery that uh, I'd hate to wish on anybody. Mm, yeah, that's that's true. And I love your uh, 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 sentence about not underselling. I, we had a conversation, one of the uh, Facebook forums about the wholesale pricing that you know people shared how much is the wholesale price. And somebody mentioned the number seven dollars uh, for a pound, not twelve ounces, for a pound of coffee. And I was like, "How you make a living? It's just crazy." And and I asked what quality, and uh, the person said specialty grade. I was like, <laughs> "My green beans are sometimes seven dollars a pound." It's right. like, like I, even if it's not specialty grade, it's, let's say it's just a nice quality coffee, like commercial grade. It's still I I don't know how they make a living. So. You have to always uh, think, like, what's your goal? What kind of lifestyle you want for yourself? And based on that, realize if you can make it or not with the coffee roasting. That will determine the size of your roaster. That will determine everything. And you have to figure what your cost is, Mm -hmm. not what your competitor's cost is. What's it cost you to do it? Exactly. All right. Thank you so much for the first part. This was really awesome. (laughs) There's a lot of great information. And uh, I had fun just chat with you about random things. Yes. And the next part, I have questions from our listeners. We have this uh, Facebook group called Coffees.me. And when I mentioned that a medium-sized company, which you are, right? You're a medium-sized roaster now. Well, we still consider ourselves a small family-run business. Okay. So I'll correct that. But they had some, <laughs> they had some questions for you. All right. And uh, let me shoot you with those. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffees.me podcast. I hope you enjoyed the espresso know-how from uh, Mike Perry. As always, you can ask your questions in our coffeeis.me Facebook group. In the next episode, Mike will answer your questions, the ones you ask via the coffeeis.me Facebook group. And as you can see, I'm repeating myself all the time with coffeeis.me Facebook group because that's the place where we meet, that's the place where we discuss coffee business issues. So come, come, come and join us. I hope to talk to you next time. Have a great one. Bye.